so in this series, the first week we said, uh, the way that you thrive when life feels heavy is you have to first realize that life is heavy. And then you have to find hope. Last week we talked about letting go of our losses. And so today I want to talk to you about something that is, it's not as heavy as last week. And I know if you were here you're like, great, because that, that, was, that was heavy. Uh, but this will be the hardest to understand because it's so countercultural. It's so opposite of what's been baked into the DNA of our, of our formation that, uh, that it's kind of hard to get your heart and your mind around. But let me try to explain it. We live in an achievement culture. So our culture is built off of, you know, go more, go faster, go, you know, achieve more, do more. And so we live in this um, achievement culture which basically says there's the solution to every problem, the answer to every question is more. If you just have more. So think about it. If you eat a cupcake and it's good, what's better than one cupcake? Two, ten. Yeah, somebody said ten. Yeah, uh, easy. <laughs> more, more, right? More is always better. Uh, sports. Man, if a little sports is better, imagine if we just played this sport year-round. Welcome travel ball. More is always the answer. If I work 50 hours a week, man, imagine what I could do if I work 60 hours a week. If I, I got a few new clothes, man, how much better would it be if I had all new clothes all the time? Or a little money's good, but you know what would be better? More. Uh, J.D. Rockefeller, one of the richest people who ever lived in American history, was once asked how much money's enough. And here his answer was, a little bit more. A little bit more. Because more is always the answer. And we kind of put this idea in children when they're young. We look at them in the little face and we say, you can be anything that you want to be. You might be president of the United States. You could be president of the United States one day if you want to be. That is one of the dumbest things we've ever told anybody. You can't be anything you want to be. Like, I wanted to be Michael Jordan. It did not work. It never worked. You cannot be anything you want to be. But you can be everything God wants you to be. And, that, and that's the difference, right? So more, we have this idea in our culture that we can have it all. And you can't have it all, and even if you could have it all, it would rot your soul. So it wouldn't even be good if you or I had it all. University of Virginia did an experiment with Legos. And what they did is they took this Lego structure and they said, we want you to help us you know, finish it. And there were two ways to finish it. One is build an entire another level out of Legos and put the top on. The other one was take one piece off and finish it. 60% of people who did it added many more parts that they were explained that added cost and time and all of this stuff. Because by intuition, we believe that more is always better. When's the last time you ever heard a coach of a team say, you know what the answer for our team is? Less practice. I mean, it's in our government. Have you ever heard the government say, I know what the solution is, less spending. 
No, no, it's always more. It's always more spending and more money and more budget and more government. And you know what? By the way, our government has expanded for generations when both parties were in charge because the answer is always more. Bob Pierce, probably a name you don't recognize, he was the founder of World Vision. World Vision is a ministry that he started in the, in the 40s and 50s, many decades ago. He was one of the most talented young Christian leaders in America. And he would go overseas and he would travel. He would travel 10 months of the year. He traveled a million miles a year. And he won thousands of people to Jesus. And his heart became captured with the poor people of the world. And he started World Vision, which is, a, which is probably the largest Christian ministry in the world today. But, but what happened is, as he continued to push his body, he would travel 10 months of the year for 20 years, and he had wrecked his body so deeply that before he was 50 years old, he was hospitalized, and his body never completely recovered. And part of it was driven by fear. If I don't go, this isn't going to happen. If I don't show up, somebody's not going to eat. Some poor person's not going to be fed. And although there's a good motivation to that, there's also an unhealthy motivation, which for him was fear. He was driven by fear, and that fear shot adrenaline through his veins, and he began to push himself beyond his limits, so much so that he ended up divorcing He didn't have time for that. He neglected his children. He didn't have time for that. He was saving the world. So much so that the board of World Vision had to remove him from leadership because he became so unhealthy. So there's all kinds of versions of this more idea. We can push through to incredible success in certain areas of our life, but oftentimes at the expense that other areas are falling apart. It's not uncommon for us to get close to some mega successful person. And, and they're, they're, they're known for whatever they do, their craft, their art, their influence, their whatever. But if you get really close, what you oftentimes see is some other part of their life that's falling apart. It's shocking. It's shocking how big a gap there is in that part of their life. We see it all too often these days. Pastors and Christian leaders who have some kind of success in whatever they've done. But then you look deeper and here's another failure. Here's another moral failure. Here's another collapse. Here's another leadership collapse. Here's another scandal. And you say, "What, what happened? More was always the answer. Do you know in the NFL, do you know what the average NFL career is? 3.3 years. Everybody's not Peyton Manning and Tom Brady. 3.3 years is the average, which means there's a bunch of people that don't make it to year two. But you know what what the culture says? Next man up. So entertainment, politics, business, sports, Media, these industries industries just chew people up and spit them out. And and at what cost? If you and I are going to thrive in this culture, we're going to have to learn how to live in a counter-cultural way. 
We're not going to be able to just go along with the stream and just float down with the current because the current is toxic. The current is poisonous. The current is wrecking our soul. So the whole series is how do we thrive when life's heavy? Well, we're going to have to learn how to live a different way than, than everybody else is living. So God has given us these truths in his word that set us free if we apply them. Now let me give you the truth I want to share with you today. If you're going to thrive when life feels heavy, you're going to have to learn how to embrace your limits. You're going to have to learn how to embrace your limits. See, there's, there's nobody cheers for that one. Yay! I've embraced my limits. Because we live with our limits. You know what? I hate limits. I hated when I was in you know, elementary school and you come to that one grade and they say, no more naps, you know, no more. What? I hated when the teacher would say, recess is over. Why? Why can't we just do a whole day of recess? Field day was my favorite day. You know, I didn't want to, let's just run. I hated when you went to the cafeteria and the little teacher would be over there flipping the lights on and off. You know, everybody knows what that means. Shut it. Quiet. And I always thought, you know what, we listen to you talk all day. Why can't we just talk? Why can't we talk at the volume we want to talk at? What does it matter? Like the walls aren't going to melt. The paint's not coming off the wall. Just let us talk. Been in prison in the classroom learning all this stuff all day. I hate limits. And I don't think I'm alone. All the way back to creation. If you go to the very beginning of time, there was this beautiful garden that God made. It had four rivers that flowed through it. It was lush and healthy and a wide variety of trees and plants. And the Bible tells us it had uh, gold and pearls and minerals flowing through it. It was amazing. And listen to Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. It was incredible. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. So at the very beginning of creation, God gives us this limit Everything is yours. All the vegetables, all the fruit, all the minerals, all the water. Everything is yours but one tree. And it killed them. It killed them. One tree. They couldn't stand it. You would think after how good God had been to them that they could avoid one tree. If you think that's not true, I challenge you to take, get you a group of three-year-olds and put them in a room and stack it full of toys. And then take one toy and set it right in the middle of the room and tell them, you can play with every toy in the room, but you cannot touch that toy. I, set your stopwatch. It's a matter of seconds. There'll be a stampede on for that toy. You know why? Because we hadn't changed. We don't like limits. We're the same. And then here comes Satan. Satan always has a contrary voice to God. He came to challenge the limits, and he's still doing it. You know, God's not fair. God wants you to have a bad life. Listen, Genesis chapter 3, verse 4. You will, you will not certainly die. What is he saying? God's lying to you. You won't die. Grab it. 
Grab it. Look at it. It's there. It's ready. There's nobody watching. There's no cameras. Nobody's going to know. Grab it. All your friends are doing it. I mean, people on social media, you see them doing it all the time. The people on TV, they're not dead. They didn't die. Look, they look fine. They look happy. You won't die. That's what Satan says. You'll not die. For God knows that when you eat from it, not only is God a liar, he's saying, when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. What is he saying? Oh, no, no. God's playing a game with you. He's trying to protect himself from you rising up to his level. He's this big insecure giant in heaven that doesn't want you to know what he knows. He wants you to be small and ignorant and backward. He wants everybody to make fun of you. That's what God really wants. He doesn't want you to live your best life. Then verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food. It looks good. Man, it looks, so, it looks right. It just looks right. Everybody I know, everybody I know says it's right. Everybody's talking about it. It looks good. It looks good. Listen, and, it, and it's pleasing to the eye. Oh, it's, it just looks so right. And it's desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and she ate it. And then what happened? She didn't die. See? What happened? She didn't die. And we watch people, and sometimes we participate, and we do things that we think are beyond our limit, but we do them when we go, I mean, I'm still here. I mean, they're still here. They're okay. They still got a good job. I mean, they, they seem to be fine to me. But then here, look what she did. She did what we always do. Look at the last verse. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and she ate it. You know what we do when we go past our limits? We always recruit people to go with us. You know why? Nobody wants to be alone. (laughs) Look, most of pastoring is this. Why don't you just leave everybody else alone? (laughs) Why don't you just stop dragging people along with you in this problem? The first temptation of humanity was to live without limits. There's a lot of ways to look at that. Everything that's wrong in the whole world today, you can find in those first couple of chapters of Genesis. Everything that's wrong comes from one of the first temptations, living past our limits. How much is enough? It's a little bit more. Just a little bit more. I I experienced this uh, last Christmas. Those of you who know our story, my my wife is uh, suffering from a terrible disease. She's in a nursing home under um, hospice care. And last Christmas, I, w- I had the opportunity to bring her home and us to just kind of have a normal, light Christmas. And so all I could think of is, I don't know how many more times I'm going to get to do this. So I just started, like as the days got closer, I'd go to the grocery store and I'd buy say, oh, that'd be good, and oh, man, that'd be good. And that, that, you know, so we've never had that before, and some of that would be good, and some of that would be good, some of that would be good. And I created this giant, you know, uh, buffet of because I just thought I don't know how many more times we'll get to do this like this so I just wanted to be is the best I wanted to be as good as it can be and and I'm telling you got in there and cooked and prepared and bought all this stuff and I never forget sitting there on Christmas day when the sweat finally dried in my shirt you know so I'd been in the kitchen slaughtering it I was gonna have a yo-ho-ho nuclear Christmas you know it's, it's on 
And I sat there, and I don't even think we could taste everything. There's too many things to taste. And then you taste them all, and you go, I don't even think this goes with this. Like, I, uh, this doesn't even go together. We just have flavors. It's like funky festival flavor of the West, you know. And I'm sitting there eating all that, and I'm thinking, I'm miserable. I'm absolutely miserable. You know why? I went past my limit. I did, I shouldn't have, I'm not happier than I was last year. We have more to eat than we had last year. We have more dishes, things that I've never... And I'm not happier. And it didn't help anything. It hurt me. And you know why I did it? Fear. Fear drove me to do it. Because I was afraid that this might be one of the last times we get to do this and I want to try to take advantage of it. And you know what I found? Fear oftentimes drives us past our limits. Because we're so afraid that we're going to miss out or we're afraid God's not going to come through or afraid that life's not going to turn out the way we're supposed to. So we drive in fear and we push ourselves past our limits and we break ourselves down. But we all have limits. We have physical limits. We have mental limits, skill limits, health limits, age limits. And you know what embracing your limits does? It helps you practice not being God. By the way... We need lots of practice. It helps you practice not being God. You know Jesus embraced limits? Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 through 8. Though he was God, Jesus was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. See, see, Satan told Adam and Eve, grab it. It's yours. Grab it. Doesn't it look good? Grab it. God doesn't want you to have a good life. You have to fix it. You have to do it yourself. He put this thing right here. It's a trap. He hopes you don't get it. Grab it. And Jesus refused to. Jesus refused to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being, talking about limits. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Adam and Eve were reaching for equality with God. I want to be unlimited. I want to be like God. And Jesus, although he was God, surrendered that privilege, and receive the limitation of the Father so that He might do the will of the Father. So, how do we embrace our limits? Three things. Number one, do the work that God gave you to do. You know there's a lot of things Jesus did not do when He was on earth? He spent most of His life in Galilee and Jerusalem, which was relatively a small area. Like, he didn't travel to Rome, which was the superpower. It would be like going to, you know, the United States or China. or Like, he stayed in these little smaller areas that were under Roman occupation. He didn't go to, he went to very few countries of the world. He stayed in a small area. He, he never met with world leaders. You would think he would say, listen, I'm God in a human body. Line them up. We need to talk. We got to fix this thing. Jesus didn't do any of that. He didn't do any of that. 
He embraced the limits the Father gave him. He did the work his Father gave him to do. John 17, 4 says that. This is Jesus' statement near the end of his life. I have brought you glory, talking to his Father, on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. Have you ever gotten in the middle of some big project and task and you just feel it setting on you go, how did I get here? Why am I doing this? This is the dumbest thing. I shouldn't be doing this. When you feel that, you probably push past your limits. Or you end up somewhere and you go, oh, I didn't really want to come. I'm here because I didn't want to disappoint somebody and I'm just beat to death. Why am I here? Because you're pushing past your limits. Our, the only way you and I are going to thrive We have to set our goal on something other than making everyone else happy or chasing every good idea we have down. What we have to do is we have to do the work the Father gave us to do. And so here's the thing about that. To do that, you have to ask a really hard question. God, what is it that you, what exactly is it that you gave me to do? Can I just be honest with you? That's one of the hardest things I've ever learned and I'm still trying to learn it. Because I want to do what God gave other people to do. Because <laughs> I see it and I go, hey, let's get this going. Let, let's, you know, let's get it fixed. But to just stay in my lane and to do no more and no less than what God gave me to do. What does God actually expect of you? When you do that and, and that. <laughs> you can thrive in life when you do that. But it's one of the hardest truths, probably for you too. Number two, limit your knowledge and grow your wisdom. Limit your knowledge and grow your wisdom. So what I mean by that? We, we are living, we are drowning in an ocean of knowledge, and we are scorching to death in a desert with no wisdom. That's where we live. That's the best description I can find of our times. So I want you to imagine for a minute that knowledge is like the part of a tree that grows, like a, like a limb or a branch. And, and, and we have knowledge growing like kudzu. It is it's shooting out every direction, every direction. But here's the question I want to ask you. If you pretend that the root system is like wisdom, do you think that as people that we have grown in wisdom in the last 50 or 100 years, do you think people were generally lived with greater wisdom Or do you think we'll have greater wisdom now? Here's what's happened is the tree of knowledge is growing at such an unprecedented rate, it's too heavy for these shriveled up roots to handle. We can't handle the knowledge because we weren't created to handle the knowledge that we're trying to hold up. So what I'm saying, I'm not saying don't get educated. I'm not saying don't learn. I'm saying filter the knowledge that you take in your life. Filter the knowledge you take in your mind for the type of knowledge and the quantity. Your life is moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. So what are you thinking about most of the time? Because that's the direction your life is going. And what most of us do is our mind is in neutral, just taking in the data and information that's around us, the conversations that are swirling around us like bees all the time with just no, no filter, no discernment, no wisdom, no nothing. It's just hitting us head on every day like a truck. And we're just taking it in. And it is deforming our soul. And it is causing a mental health crisis. And it is causing an emotional crisis. And it is breaking us down. 
So let's look back again at this temptation that Satan came with. Did you notice? Genesis 2.17, you must not eat from the tree of knowledge. Knowledge of what? Of good and evil. Now here's the thing. Satan told the truth about one part. By the way, Satan usually tells some of the truth. That's the bait, but there's a hook in it that's a lie. And here's what he said. He said, look back at Genesis 3, 5, For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Up until that point, they only knew good. Now they know good and evil. And they heard that before they took the fruit, but somehow they assumed that it was a good thing. And they grabbed it. You know why? Because more is always better. More is always better. That's what they thought. More is always better. They were never created. Adam and Eve and you and I were never created to carry the knowledge of evil. We were never created to carry that knowledge with our soul. We're not designed by God to carry it. Therefore, since we're not created to carry the burden of the whole world, only God can carry the burden of the whole world, it breaks us. And so there has to come a time when we release people and we release crisis and we release trauma and intrigue and tragedy and heartbreak and the latest shooting and an earthquake and and, and the news cycles that we play over and over and over and over wreck our soul, and social media unlimited becomes toxic. It's You and I were never intended to know this much information about other people. We weren't intended to carry it. It's a heavier weight than our soul can bear, and it creates jealousy and competition, and it creates comparison, and it creates anxiety, and it creates cynicism. It's a soul, our weight was, a weight our soul was not intended to carry. So here's what I just want to say to you. Don't expect better mental health until you limit your knowledge. You have to limit what's going in your mind in order for your mind to be healthier. You have to filter it, limit it. I'm not telling you what the limit is. I'm just saying you have to, look, there's a, there's a little prayer that we learned. We learned it from uh, uh, John Eldridge. From the One Minute Paul's app that I gave you at the beginning of this series, there's a beautiful prayer, a simple prayer. It's an amazing prayer. It'll help set your soul free. As many times a day as you can stop and pray it, I encourage you to stop and pray it. And it goes something like this. Lord, I give everyone and everything to you. Would you just, would you pray that with me this morning out loud? Lord, I give everyone and everything to you. You know why? Because I'm not God. <laughs> I'm not God. So I've got to practice my limit. Okay, so here's the, here's the flip side of limiting knowledge and growing wisdom. Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived, and he wrote a book for his son called Proverbs that contains incredible riches of wisdom. And here's what he says. Wisdom is more valuable than silver and gold and rubies and nothing you desire compares to it. Sacrifice all that you have for it. I want to read to you some of the most beautiful. You could turn to nearly any chapter 
in Proverbs, and you could hear about wisdom. But I want to read to you one of the most beautiful stretches to me, Proverbs 3, 13 through 18. Blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding, for she's more profitable. I don't know why wisdom's a she. Ladies, you'll have to help us out with that. That's a conversation for later. She's more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her. Tree of life. Not knowledge of good and evil. Tree of life. Those who hold her fast will be blessed. In the Old Testament, the word for wisdom, the Hebrew word, means skill in living. Wisdom to the Hebrew mind, the Old Testament mind, was to be a wise person, would be a person that was very skilled in the way they lived their life. So wisdom shows up in your schedule. Wisdom shows up on your calendar. Wisdom shows up in your rhythm. So Embracing limits is one of the best ways to grow in wisdom. So let me just throw a bunch of questions at you. Wisdom questions sound like this. How many hours is too many hours to work? That's not good for your soul. How much time do you need together each week to have a healthy marriage? How much time do you need to have a healthy family? How many hours are too many hours to spend on sports and extracurricular activities each week? How much money is too much to spend on one meal? How much money is the right amount to save? How much sleep is the right amount each week? How much time do you need in prayer and Bible study a day to flourish in your soul? Which relationships in your life do you need to invest in the most? How much time on social media is too much? How much TV or movies is too much? How much food is too much? How violent or sexual or contrary to the Christian life does a movie need to get before you turn it off? How negative does a conversation need to get before you withdraw from it? Embracing your limits will grow your wisdom and it will help you thrive. So you have to limit your knowledge and grow your wisdom. Last thought today. Invest your margin in rebuilding resilience. So here's what happens. When we go through a crisis as we've gone through, what happens is is we draw off of our reserves, our emotional, relational, mental, spiritual, financial reserves. We draw off our reserves so that we can rally and meet the challenge of the hour, right? And that's what we've done. But if you don't replace those reserves, they never come back. And so there's only one way that you and I's reserves are ever going to be rebuilt. And that is we're going to have to take some some time and space in our rhythm and our life. And we're going to have to have times where we take in more than we give out. So when do you receive? When do you receive? Because if you're just hoping that life will work itself out and eventually your reserves will come back, it rarely happens accidentally. So what I'm suggesting to you is if you embrace limits and you limit your knowledge and grow your wisdom, what it's going to create in your life for you is space. Now the question is, what do you do with the space? What you do with the space is you invest it in rebuilding your reserve.
by receiving. What are some things we receive? Well, the Bible says that Jesus often withdrew to quiet places, prayed and talked to the Father. And by the way, the heavier Jesus' life got, the more he withdrew. Or the bigger the decision he was going to have to make, the more he withdrew. Because Jesus was responsive to the environment that he was in. And he understood the limits the Father put on him. And he embraced them. So, prayer, sleep, rest, worship, reading the Bible, maybe gardening or art, walks, exercise, eating well, a good meal with a good friend. Reading, writing, solitude, silence, reflection. There has to be time that you receive so that your soul will live. Would you stand with me this morning? Man, this is, this is so countercultural. But, but I want to go back to a moment that we hit earlier that I actually hit in my life. And it was fear. Fear. I think for Bob Pierce, the founder of World Vision, fear was what pushed him past his limits. When I cook Christmas dinner, fear is what pushed me past my limits. And there's really only one cure for fear. There's only one. It's the love of God. Because when you become convinced in your soul that God loves you, there's nothing to fear. So we're going to sing a song about that, and then we're going to have a prayer time. If you're online this morning, our prayer team's ready to pray with you. So I hope you'll jump over in the comments and put your prayer request there, and a live prayer member who's already been praying for you today is going to meet you there. Lord, today we look to you, (laughs) and we say the answer's really not in government or society or science. Science can't cure the soul. Lord, the answer's in you. And so, Lord, today we we lift our voice up to worship you that we might receive, that our mind and heart might receive the love of God.